Welcome to BizBytes, a podcast focused on technology and business. I'm your host, Anthony McMahon. In each episode, I interview New Zealand business owners and technology leaders discussing their views on the impact technology's had on business, what it might mean for the future, and their thoughts on how to adapt to the changes ahead. An abstract dream engineer passionate about increasing the number of Pacifica women in tech. That's the LinkedIn tagline of today's guest, Nori Ape. Together we discuss some of the reasons behind why only 2% of New Zealand's technology industry is classed as Pacifica or Māori, despite those cultures making up 25% of the population. And the numbers get smaller when you add other diversity layers in. So how do we solve this? Nori provides a simple view. Provide people with a pathway, connect them with the opportunities, and remove the perception that you need to be a certain person with a certain skill. In a wide-ranging conversation, we cover the value of cultural intelligence, or CQ, to your organisation. Why having the same crew solving problems will always result in the same outcomes. And how, by virtue of having different thought processes, the conversation will go in a different path. We also look at some big ideas. What role models do we have? Why does the industry prescribe a particular degree? And how do we change the perception of tech to be more than just development? Because if we want the products and services across the country to be reflective of society, then we need better representation. Nori, a Samoan digital product owner from the mighty Auckland, is a passionate blue supporter with experience within the government and private sector. What she loves about her role is the continuous engagement between tech teams and business teams to iteratively design, test, develop, implement and measure the success of customer-centred products and services. When she's not refining her list of places to brunch in Wellington City or trying to promote and increase the number of Pacifica people and Pacifica women in the technology sector, you can usually find her testing out in workshops or office corners ways to open up technical and process designs to be more innovative by encouraging diverse thought patterns and processes or sharing stories of how she went from case manager at work and income with an honours degree in foreign policy to a digital product owner. In short, she likes hearing, sharing and experiencing awesome stories and life experiences to help unravel gnarly problems. Welcome to the show today, Nori. Great to have you on board. Thanks for having me. We've had some great conversations leading into to, right into this recording, actually, but also picking up some of the other stuff you've talked about um, through through the AFQI, a few quiet yarns uh, that we were where we first connected a couple of weeks ago. Um, what really, in, in, what I really found engaging there was that your focus on um, a slightly different viewpoint of diversity to what we'd normally see in, in the industry. The more we can we can engage with different segments of society and bring them into the technology industry, the better. But you've got a very specific focus on, on Pacific women in, in technology industry. Um, what's what's what sort of encouraged you to, to focus towards that? Oh, sure, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm pretty new to tech itself and like five years or so, but one of the things that you do notice is that um, I also I was the minority in the minority. So there's not a lot of women in tech already. Uh, there's even less than a Pacifica. So I looked at the stats because I love numbers. Um, my team tell me off all the time because I'm just quoting data quite a bit. Um, but, you know, we know that New Zealand's population of the last census said that 25% of the population is Māori and Pacifica. And of that, only 2% of the entire tech sector is Māori and Pacifica. So you know that if generally worldwide the trend is that 25% of the tech workforce is female, that of that is going to be 1% will be like Māori and Pacifica, or 1 to 2. So it's not a lot, but there's actually quite a lot of innovation that kind of comes out of... Um, 
you know, a cultural, a cultural lens, like the way that you think and process um, challenges, problems, and kind of get to the point where you come up with a solution is really shaped by uh, your cultural background, your upbringing, and kind of um, how you walk through a particular thing. So uh, at AFQI, we're talking a bit about um, if you always have the same crew uh, designing the same stuff, you always end up with the same product. So it's like, um, I mean, I live in Wellington, so you get a bit of a Wellington bias when we look at government products because they kind of look around and almost everyone in Wellington either works for government or works for an agency that works with government. So um, a lot of that you want to kind of look at is, and the reason why I'm quite big on like Pacifica Women in Tech is if we want products and services across public and um, private sectors to be better and different and more reflective of New Zealand today and not New Zealand in 1840, then you actually need to make sure that we've got more representation of those kind of communities because the reality is we all think differently and like I said earlier, that real um, framework of how you think in your worldview is so different and the difference is what actually makes your product better because you're not just, um, oh, it could be like if you grabbed a whole bunch of PhDs together, they'd come up with the same option because they're formally trained in a particular way. But actually, if you had, you know, a, a kind of like a mini UN in terms of your development team or your design team, by virtue of having different um, thought processes, the discussion just goes to better places. Oh, but what about, why did you do that? You know, so it's things like, um, we think of the case that's back in South Korea a couple of years ago and the, the Romba, the, the vacuum cleaner. Yep. Designed by a company um, that's not from Korea or Japan to design it. Think about people that lived in South Korea that sleep near the floor. Yep. So the design was like at a certain height. So if again, that's an example of if you'd had a more diverse design team or um, a team that kind of comes up with these options, then you'd actually come up with a better product that wouldn't, in that case, the, the case of the South Korean lady, the machine ate her hair. Because you know she's on the ground and it's kind of <laughs> ripped at it. So yeah, it's, but it's like things that would be really obvious to someone that had grown up in um, South Korea because that's the norm. Yep. But yeah, so it's the diversity of thought and the different upbringings that actually I'm passionate about Pacific people because I I know that it's a better tech is a better option for them. It gives them better outcomes. Um, but I'm always curious as to why we have such big Nani problems. So if we know that we've had this issue on cultural diversity and having more Māori and Pacifica uh, women in tech, why hasn't it changed? Because it's not a new issue. Like it's, uh, like you mentioned earlier, like 20 years, you probably came across one person. I was lucky because I came across five. Yeah. Again, that's unique. Absolutely. And in the context for that, I was saying that, that throughout my whole career, 20 years, I think I've only had one um, Polynesian female in my in my broader team, I, I guess I'm looking at this from a different lens to you. One of the things I do wonder is whether, as a tech industry, we've we've put too many barriers in place unconsciously. Um, not not trying to, to to keep any particular cultures or, or anything out, but it, maybe the industry has been more attractive to 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 men 
and therefore we've put the barriers up to, to make it easier for men to get in, but not made it seem like an opportunity uh, or a good career path for anyone else. I would say it's a fair observation, but I also think um, for me, I always think there's just because you have a problem um, doesn't mean you don't try to do something about it. Yeah. So um, a lot of the things is what role models do we have for uh, Pacific women in tech, you know, and do we prescribe that you need a particular degree to become someone that works in tech? So um, I've my background is in foreign policy. I worked um, in a frontline government department and I got sick of the system as in how the design was just uh, coming up and being used. So I ended up in a project um, down in Wellington. But again, um, if you don't see someone that looks like you and sounds like you, it's quite hard to like visually say, oh, I can get there. So there is definitely like a lack of role models. But also I think at the moment there's a very prescriptive way um, that people talk about how you get into tech. So you must be a developer. You must have a computer science degree. But actually um, having a computer science degree and being a developer is not the be all and end all of technology. It's assuming that only developers and only computer science degrees, like people of that degree, actually understand problem solving, actually yep. understand human interaction, when actually quite a fair bit of um, technology, when you strip it down, it's people, problem solving, and communication. Yes. You strip it all away. That's all it is. Uh, it's a shiny widget. Geez, it looks amazing when you kind of look at it. But if you can't articulate a particular problem and you can't bring people along for the ride, no one's going to buy your product. Yep. No one's going to work for you. Um, and no one will understand why. Why are you doing something? So there is definitely a stigma in terms of, like, it's a male profession. I don't think that it's... Um, it does kind of create like a expectation that you need to be a certain um, kind of person to get into technology. But if you think about, and I have said this to a couple of um, people that I've worked with as developers, I've said, you know, the more and more uh, we get AI, the more where you get a lot of, you know, out of the box, drag and drop kind of functionality, the less you need a, and excuse the term code monkey, mm -hmm. and the more you need a solution engineer, yep. someone that is going to kind of, you know, really kind of walk through and go, oh, what was the problem? Okay, so is it really a problem? And how do you kind of get there? So I think a lot of it is also having the tech sector really really change the way they do the. So you get a lot of, like, yeah, there's some real tech-heavy ones where you've got, like, all the languages that you need to know. But actually, we don't advertise jobs around the human side of technology. So if you've got all this technology, it's actually more important now to be more human because if you make it and it's just pure tech, no one's going to buy it. But if you design it for the human person and you can have that experience factored into the design, it's a better product regardless. Definitely. And, and, and this is something I'm going to address in another episode coming up with Chloe Piper as well, who's a recruiter um, in, in the tech industry, is some of the challenges, and, and you've touched on them right there, and it's the same for everyone. This is not a cultural barrier. This is just sometimes this is the barrier that doesn't need to be there. Of You see a, a, res, uh, sorry, a, a, a job description that talks about must have seven years experience in this role 
or yeah. must be able to code in these languages. And sometimes I look at those roles and it's like, just because you've worked in that role for seven years, it doesn't mean you're good at your job. Um, you could have been average for seven years or you could yeah. have, you could have worked for seven different companies in that time because you're actually a bad fit culturally. So that doesn't make you good at your job. What we should be looking for is people that know, um, and, and you talk about it really well there around uh, solution focused we need people who know how to solve, how to identify problems. We need people who know how to solve problems and, and can look at it in an abstract way. And that's where that cultural, a lot of cultural differences can actually benefit a project. Now, if, if we're trying to solve issues for, um, for the islands, for, for, for better connectivity in the islands or better uptake of a certain app, the best people to bring in to help solve those are people who live, work, and, and communicate within the islands, right? It's, it's not people down here who know how to write code that are going to solve it. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Like I, I think sometimes when uh, we always talk about like first world problems, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you try to overcomplicate something when the solution is really simple. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that comes from whether we like it or not. If you work in technology, uh, you often are in a place of privilege, and sometimes you need the privilege check of people that actually live in that scenario or uh, people that aren't tech savvy to remind you that your job is to enable a better experience. It is not to ram down all of your training and all of your cool gadgets onto someone because you need to prove this, you know, this service or this product is amazing. Yep. And the best solutions have always come from um, sitting down at a table, having a gas bag. Um, I always think of the, we talked a bit earlier, I always think of it's a lot of like social cultural training that you get um, I, it's baked into your everyday. You don't think about it as a individual until you're kind of sitting there. And we talked about a bit earlier. Um, one of the things I tell a lot of Pacifica women and women actually just overall, they have skills that they actually completely undervalue yep. because they don't understand them, how you can monetize that skill. So I work as a digital product owner. One of the key things I have to do is actually observe. So I don't jump in and go, ah, got to use the tool like this. Are you doing it wrong? Um, actually, quite a fair bit of my job is sitting back, looking at data sets, looking at the... So I look at what are the ways that people behave and what is the metrics or the data telling me um, how to behave, how does the actual system record that behaviour? And a lot of that actually requires sitting back, watching people interact, facilitating conversations and learning to listen. So I come from a massive family. I'm number seven, so right at the bottom um, out of nine kids, or near the bottom, and I had to learn to listen, like, you know, because you don't have much power at the bottom. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, the social skills that we kind of, like, I think of you now so many Pacifica women they have. It's, you know, like you hear different terms like IQ, EQ, um, the term that I love is cultural intelligence. Yep. So the ability to know, to walk into a room, read the body language, go, their auntie's a bit angry, their uncle's not happy with somebody. Uh, that kind of skill and that ability to pick up is massive when you are in my kind of role, when you're trying to design something that is fit for market, when you're trying to see why do people not get along, um, when you're trying to build a team to go uh, from having fundamental interpersonal issues to delivering. Yep. So that those kind of skills 
uh, we undervalue, but actually in the sector, it's in high demand. If you think about how many teams could have performed better had they had a better mix of individuals and thought processes, oh my gosh, you probably would have had better government products out years ago, um, as opposed to some of the real clunky ones where you're like, geez, like nobody thought about the end user for this one. You talked in there as well, um, not just the ability to read um, emotions, but something else you touched on was the ability to actually pick up authority um, through through yes. uh, body language, through the non-verbal communication that, that you're very confident and comfortable to pick up who, who's leading the, the pack within a room as you walk in. And that, that's something that can't be overlooked in any project, right? It's, it's valuable to be able to do that. And, and that's one other thing that we might be missing out on if we, if we don't open the door to, to have more cultures um, in the industry, right? Oh, definitely. Like I think um, I was mentioning earlier, I know who the senior tech leaders because everyone worships that person. Mm. They have subtle behavioural changes. Like you'll see them kind of slightly turn to them and like, oh, <laughs> just the, the look of adoration, like that split second of adoration as they look at the tech lead, like, yes, my fearless leader. Um, yeah, you're right. Like that is so valuable when you're trying to build um, a successful dynamic team that gets stuff done. Um, when we don't kind of uh, recruit or when we don't, so one of the things we've really got to look for is how do we positively discriminate for that kind of diversity? Um, we mentioned a bit earlier that if you have Māori and Pacifica, 25% of our population in New Zealand and only 2% of the tech sector, what is the level of innovation we are missing out on? because we don't have diverse perspectives. I mean, we've got to admit that it's not particularly diverse. Um, and the places that you do go to that are diverse, it's because generally it's a large shop and they can afford to pay for consultants to come from overseas. Um, but again, when you have them come up from overseas, what is the rich depth that you get from working with, um, you know, developers? I've worked with developers in government uh, that were flowing over from Dubai because mm. they died. And I thought, man, that's amazing. Like, I think of all the things that I learned from being working with people from different cultures and they're designing stuff better. And I think, well, actually, why can't we um, get more of that local talent? Think of all the innovate. I mean, I was trying to remind a bunch of um, particularly Pacifica people if your ancestors could traverse the Pacific Ocean, there's no reason why you can't look at things and figure out your way. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Nothing is easy. Um, but if you kind of know who you can kind of connect with and what are different pathways to get into technology, then the opportunities are there. I think we talked a bit earlier about we don't want the solution being you must have a prescribed pathway into technology. Yeah. And I actually think the more diverse your path into technology, the better you are. Yeah. So I've worked with product managers that had a background in hospitality management. Tell you what, thick skin never yeah. flinched. You know, like they just know how to overcome every objection that your business partner comes with. Um, and then I think of, you know, people that were just mothers and they just decided one day, 
uh, so one of the best agile coaches I know, uh, Hidia, so that's um, we met AFQI, she is self-taught. When you think of like the depth of her experience, so she's Māori as well, and her experiences and her life um, pathways was not a traditional pathway into tech. But the experience and her interaction and the way that she is has resulted in producing a product that literally saves lives. So it's that kind of like when we know what we can achieve by having a more diverse, culturally diverse um, teams, then we know that we're going to get innovations. I was reading a study recently and it's quoted quite often. It's a Harvard study where it says the more cognitive diversity you have in your team, um, you have like up to a 40% increase in innovation. So if we have the same kind of crew designing all our tech, what are we missing out? No, it's not just the, the cultural element that we, we can rely on in there um, and, and bringing in the, that thought process. One of the things that I, I have been reading about a little bit lately is, is encouragement for particularly technology students, um, but technology professionals to get more involved in uh, the arts because it helps them solve problems better. Oh, and I think yeah. you know, that, that talks to exactly, you some great examples in there. It talks to exactly the opportunity for us to be to, to be bringing in so many different viewpoints because we're talking problem solving. Coming back to that point, we're talking problem solving and people who can solve problems are valuable no matter who they are or where they've come from. Mm, uh, exactly. It's, it's, it's incredible. And, and when you've got, you, know, you, you talked about um, Polynesian culture traversing the Pacific and the great navigators, been, been a lot of talk lately of some of the European navigators who eventually made it down here uh, and dis- discovered countries that the Polynesians have been living in for, for centuries already. Um, oh, that place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah been there. That's cool. Um, they, they solve some pretty complex problems with some pretty, uh, by today's standards, primitive technology, but they were able to solve them. And, and that, that skill hasn't gone away from anyone. No, no. It, it's, it's still there present. No, and I think a lot of it is, um, so we talked a bit earlier about there's a strong need for more um, Māori and Pacifica role models in tech. And we're starting to see an increase. Like It might just be my algorithm on LinkedIn, but um, I see a lot of visible Māori and Pacifica. And I think when we look at like the techs, the different ways that technology is now part of our lives. So I met um, two graduate students that had come up with a 3D printing idea, which is traditional um, Pacific tattoos. So they've 3D printed it onto a stamp. And you, you could have literally a full sleeve in less than five minutes. It's just to show you kind of what it was like. And yep. they're like, oh, it was, <coughs> they're like, oh, it's just like a bit of, um, you know, it's a project we did for like school and I was trying to explain to them the fact that you were able to use 3D technology and come up with like traditional designs and you've made um, technology interactive, you've made it tactile, um, you know, that's invaluable. And when I think of um, we've got different teams that have really used technology to make them more interactive. It was, mm-hmm. um, I went to a digital Moana um, it was conference organised by MB a couple of years ago. And one of the ladies I was talking to was doing her PhD teaching AI, um, re- almost you know, like, like Pacifica languages. And I said, oh, gosh, you know, 
this is a really big problem. We have, you know, you think about different countries in the Pacific, uh, Tuvalu is probably going to be underwater, you know, in the next hundred or so years. Um, how do you relate your language? So it was about retaining the stories and the language. So she's using the technology and repurposing it for a particular reason, which is retaining the culture and the language and the heritage of a particular um, country. And we think like technology is there for a purpose. It's yep. not just so you can get the latest iPhone. Um, you can actually use it to, like you mentioned earlier, solve problems or you know, really take a new approach as to how we kind of look at um, how we use technology. So I think, yeah, definitely expanding it to kind of say technology is not just, and it's one of my biggest kind of pet peeves is that people always think technology is development. Yep. But it's not. I'm like, you know, tech, you know, development's only one part of it. And if you think of technology as an enabler for other things, then the, the application and the, the problem-solving skills and the ability to think across different perspectives and different cultural backgrounds kind of foster that kind of um, how do we solve a problem and then it's kind of shaped by, oh, my background, this is how I was raised and this is how we kind of resolve key issues. Like remove the notion that um, technology is just, again, it's just a playground for developers. It's not. Definitely, definitely. And and it's a really good point in there, you know. Developers are only there to solve problems. Again, it, it comes back into that. It's it's I, I feel like we keep coming back to this point, but it's so true. Developers have got great skills, they bring a lot to the table, but they will only solve problems that someone else has already identified for them and, and put the solution front, you know. Coders aren't sitting there magically coming up with ideas. Um you know, they're not in the flow just writing code and, and, and coming up with great ideas and, and, and then throwing them out there to see how they work. Some product teams are doing that, absolutely, but the coder themselves are waiting for that ingestion. So yeah. the people who identify those problems need to be the people who understand what the problems are and be able to say, hang on a minute, no, that's not a problem we need to solve. And, and if I just liken it back at the moment, you know, very topical, if I liken it back to COVID-19, I saw a lot of... Oof people very early on trying to solve problems that that i would not have thought existed um and and when you got down to it probably about 80 percent of the apps that were developed in the early stages of COVID 19 haven't gone anywhere and and i think oh. about, you know some of the stuff a couple, of, a couple of people in a forum i was in going oh we've invented this we've come up with this tracker it will help you show where all the clusters are in New Zealand and it will do this and it will do this. And like, oh, awesome. Where are you getting your data from? Oh, we're just ingesting it from the Ministry of Health website. Are you, are you using an API? No, we're literally screen scraping it. It's already on the Ministry of Health website. Like, why, why are you doing this? You know, and, and I think that's where it comes into again is we need people who sit there and go, mate, that, that's dumb. Why are you doing that? Um, yeah. And challenging that and going, hang on you're trying to focus on a problem here that doesn't exist, but we do know, you know, you, you talk about Tuvalu um, and, and the possibility of it, of it sinking and all that culture lost. There's an opportunity for us to solve something there and, and, oh. and, keep, that and keep it. Yeah. And I think like the good thing about COVID was that, um, I mean, I, COVID really highlighted a digital divide. Yep. Like I've read countless papers. I've been to countless proof of concepts at all of government. And I went to one and it was like, oh, we've got this great chatbot. And I thought, 
cool. And they're all sitting there like, what do you, what's your comment? And I say, I would like to make a comment, which is um, you've designed this product about, you know, promoting people setting up their business. But what if I can't afford data? Mm. How, what is the innovative ideas that you get um, that you miss because you made it um, an issue of access? So couldn't afford data, so I couldn't lodge my idea, couldn't lodge my pattern. Like we think about uh, schools that were like desultine schools. I'm like, why do they need modems for, man? Yep. Like, whereas you've got schools like in South Auckland that are still waiting for laptops and modems. <laughs> I thought, oh, man, you know, um, sometimes, and it's the main thing I always say to government, your job is to build infrastructure whether it's physical or digital yeah you are not going to be the source of innovation what you will do is facilitate the ability to uh, bring people together to give opportunities to you know let them build their own innovative ideas like if you think of you know all the innovative ideas did not come from government rocket lab that did not come from government you know like we Government, I've worked in government, and I said, man, you need to get out of the way. You need to build the infrastructure so people can access the information um, and let them do it because the community and the groups will always do it. But if you kind of block their access, then you're limiting their ability to access the information or services that could actually provide, um, you know, we look at role models. If If you dealt with infrastructure and provided the digital roads, like you do the physical roads. Imagine how many Steve Jobs and the likes of um, Steve Jobs would come out of New Zealand. Imagine the level of innovation, the level of change that we could do. People have the chance to be on the same level playing ground. Uh, people, kids that are in school can sit there and go, yeah, actually, I could build probably an app. Oh, yeah, okay, I can just download it. It's not going to cost me anything. Again, it's the... The notion that um, people in government need to get out of the way. They need to build the infrastructure so that the people of New Zealand across the entire spectrum can come up with these great ideas. Um, I think that's what government can do for the tech sector. We need to be particularly, uh, it's the main reason I'm real light passionate and quite visible about stuff is if you don't say, hey, I'm in tech, I didn't go the traditional path. Everyone thinks I've got to go get a computer science degree. Um, but if you actually, uh, I never turn down women that contact me that want to find out how I got a job as a product owner. You know, I'm like, mm, okay, yeah, sure. Like for me, it's half an hour, hour an hour of my life. I'm just sharing the information. Um, and I just get them, you know, don't undervalue yourself. Don't undervalue the skills you have. Know what you want. Put your hand up and network like how because the ability to network, the ability to chat and meet with new people, that's the difference between a, a great technologist and an average one. You know, everyone can learn how to code. Wow, great. Yeah. But the really great ones have the ability to, as you said, oh, here's the problem. It's a real problem. It's just building other people on board in terms of the work you want to do and the problem you're trying to solve. So for me, that's why I'm always like, yeah, I'm trying to get more Pacifica women into tech. Um, it's being more visible has allowed me to meet with lots of other people 
So I get contacted about, hey, you know, how can I get more uh, Pacifica people into tech? And it's literally provide um, a pathway to get in and connect them with the employers that are looking. So um, there are companies that are actively looking for more candidates. But again, um, if we can remove this, this kind of perception that you've got to be a certain person to get into tech, if we could provide the pathways for them to get in and give them greater visibility that tech is not just coding, it's, you know, you can work for Weta. That is technology. There's guys that spend hours staring at all the digital effects. Whether you like it or not, it's technology. Great, great. And you, you put a good point in there as well is that people are looking to, or companies are looking to be more diverse and, and, and get more skills in. And I think that the challenge isn't, um, we, we could turn that question around for them. And instead of how do we get more difficult into tech, the question they should be looking at is, have we got the right people to start with? What skills do we need? Um, and, and how do we go out and find those skills? Because something you talked about before around storytelling and the ability to, 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 to tell stories and, and also what you talked about, the ability to recognise um, using body language and, and nonverbal communication to recognise who's who's got the power structure in a room. Both of those are highly valuable skills that if you actually started advertising uh, you know, job adverts to include those instead of, must have seven years of coding, you are going to naturally get a different level of person applying, right? It's, oh, it's exactly. People want a unicorn. Yep. But they don't know that a unicorn, you know, kind of takes time, you know. Yep. Nobody pops out with all these amazing skills oh, and also code. Yep. Um, you know, that's a unicorn for a reason. You are, you know, that kind of development takes time. Um, I'm not saying you can't learn it, but it's like, you know, it's a conscious decision that you want to build a more diverse team. It is a conscious decision that your product should be uh, involving people that will use it and that the people you talk to are not people that work only in government are not people that only work in technology. So that conscious bias of testing with people that are like you, the guy that gave me the best insights was a guy that just like, he still had like an old Alcatel. That was his plan. He refused to get a smartphone and, you know, actually he was like, no, that's stupid. You should do it like this. And I was like, you know, there's nothing as humbling when you're in product as your actual customer telling you how they really feel. When they feel safe enough so they can rip your product to shreds and then you still turn out with like a product that's much better afterwards. So I think of that guy's like, nah, this is rubbish. I don't know why I'm doing this. I walked him through, I said, okay, can you explain kind of why it doesn't work? What is it that you don't like? And he said, oh, it's, you know, the button was too small. Yep. Oh, oh, flip. You know, it was, you know, it was um, a good lesson that I learned um, from growing up with my parents, which was, um, and it's something I see all the time. Like I see like lots of GMs, they go on courses that go, um, Servant leadership. So if you're an agile, you're going to hear that. That's the new thing. Which is like, oh, servant leadership is the big rah-rah. And I'm like, oh, actually, that's the stuff that my parents told me all the time, that the leader goes first, that the leader talks about the team. Um, the leader isn't about themselves. You know, if the team is fine, everything else is cool. And I think, man, some of the managers I've worked with have gone on courses that are like tens of thousands of dollars. And I think, oh, Man, I did, that's like something that's normal to me. Yep. And I think of all Pacifica people, man, like if you go to church, 
or if you didn't, it didn't matter, but it is like built into you. Uh, your style of leadership is servant leadership. So the stuff that you have GM, just, you know, companies being paid lots of thousands of dollars, you do that innately because that was what you were brought up with. All of your, um, the leaders in your family, the leaders in your church, the leaders in your community, that is the servant leadership model. They didn't, now you didn't have to pay tens of thousands. Well, you know, you kind of got to, like, you know, absorbed into your skin by watching, you're like, oh, okay, that's the leadership style I have. That's what I follow. That's what I know is a good leader. You talked in there about community, and that's a big part of it as well, I think, is, is the community you grow up in, the community that you, um, the, the community helps form you. And that, mm. exactly as you say, you learn a lot of leadership skills, you learn a lot of life skills from, from, from that. And that's something that you come to work, we work in a community as well. It's a, it's a different community, it's a different structure and a different makeup. But at the end of the day, it's still a community and you do have that servant leader uh, model going on there and, and I think that's um, a, a, an important point that we can overlook with not just Pacifica there's many cultures that, that bring this through yeah. their upbringing um, is actually so vital to who they are and how they operate that, that it's it's valuable and it's free at the end of the oh, day it's not a $2,000 yeah, like, course yeah it's absolutely free and I always think um, one of the things I always embed into the teams that I work with is it's probably a Samoan thing I'm Samoan but in my family in particular, and it's pretty common amongst Samoans, um, if they mock you, it's like a form of endearment. Yep. You know, like if you're, if you deal with like a Pacific Island person that is fluently polite, they're not friends with you. Not, you know, they're just being polite because they have to be. Um, but one of the things I always, <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm probably giving that away, but that is like literally an insider thing. Yep. Um, <laughs> Whereas, like, if they mock you or they share food with you, you know, you're part of the family. And yeah. I, one of the things I always tell my team is, oh, you know, um, and I don't know if you come across it, but you'll often hear uh, Samoans in particular, they go, oh, that's your uncle. Oh, that's your auntie. You know, when you're dealing with someone that you kind of, oh, you have to deal with them. Yeah. Um, like, you can't get rid of them because they're family. And it's the same thing I've embedded into all the teams I've worked with is um, if they didn't like someone, it was, oh, that's your uncle. And they'd be like, why do you say that's my uncle? We're not related. And I'm like, oh, you know, you know, there's always an uncle or auntie or a cousin or a sibling that you don't get along with. But the story or the lesson is actually like family. You can't get rid of them. You have to learn to accept that that is who they are. That is how they communicate. That's their need. That's what they kind of need to succeed in their life and whatever. The same thing is when you have a team. You'll have the internal team and then the wider team that you deal with and yours I always say it's done well yeah that's 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 my brother well that's your that's your brother Nori for me it's like that's how I know that I've kind of shared my culture which is rather than kind of cut them off and go no I can't stand you working it like a family relationship like you know you've always got that tough auntie and she's really tough on you but actually the only reason she's tough on you is because she's got a particular life perspective and she wants you to learn a lesson and save yourself the, the hassle. And I, I always kind of talk to my team about that. It's the same thing. You might be frustrated by them, but actually if you invest in the relationship, they become your strongest advocate. And the relationship goes from like, oh, I can't stand this person to like real tight. And they, you know, they're like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. And they all kind of laugh about it. Uh, but, I, you know, it's always those kind of um, 
cultural lessons that you kind of learn. And I learned it from being mocked by my family. That's just how it is in my family. Um, but it's helped me in terms of my career. This episode will continue after a brief message. Thanks for listening to BizBytes, the podcast focused on the impact of technology on business. If there's a topic you'd like to hear more about, someone you want to hear from, or you have something you want to talk about on an episode of the show, then let us know. Simply email anthony at bizbytes.co.nz or visit www.bizbytes.co.nz and complete the form. Now back to the show. One thing I, I, I do want to touch on in there is IQ, EQ. You, you talked about this before as well, where, where people come up and go, oh, oh no, you're, you're so smart. I couldn't possibly do the same job as you. And you, you, t- you talked about these are people that can, can do some pretty extraordinary things in their own life, which you and I would sit back and go, Oh, I don't have the I don't have the EQ or the IQ to do that. It's not about book smarts, is it? You know, it's it's people and you've said this already, you don't need to have the computer science degree to be a successful person in the technology industry. You just have to be able to articulate it well. And and, and that's something that um we come across quite a lot. But I think you, you, you some of those stories you talk were really good in there as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree. Like um it's very easy to say, Oh, you have to be a certain level of smart. But it's what we said earlier. It's like it's actually your definition of what is smart. So if you recognise that um, cultural intelligence is really people smarts. Yep. So um, if you recognise that that is something that people will pay for. So you know people pay for someone that can walk into a room, facilitate a workshop. And get, you know, start with, oh, here's the problems, walk through the problem itself and get everyone involved and talking about, oh, this is how we can do it. And great. You know, if you can get that done with a group of people you've only just met in the space of an hour and a half or two hours, however long you kind of need, then you've actually saved the company. That's just two hours of their lives. Mm. But the outputs that you come up with is the team is tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a shared purpose, a shared vision, and they'll actually probably come up with a bunch of outputs uh, that will, you know, pivot the way the company works or the product is delivered and actually have something that people can stand by. They love the product. They love um, the purpose and the vision of what it does. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's a tech product or it's you're just designing the latest pair of shoes. Um, I guess what I really want to share with people is um, that people smarts is the difference between, you know, you've got like, when we think of like all the, the technology products, at the end of the day, um, you know, technology is just technology. It does whatever you want it to. But if you, like you said earlier, if you don't define what the actual problem is and if it's a real problem and not just somebody's ego needed to be checked, then you will just come up with like all of those useless uh, random um, COVID kind of apps versus the really good ones. So I think of um, Ripple, which has the uh, privacy check. So mm. it's got privacy commission's tick of approval. Um, it is designed for the actual person. No one wants to write out their entire life history on a written document or an app. Um, when actually you just need a diary of where you were. So, again, that was focusing on their design focused on people. Did yep. not 
focus on um, I need to get an app in like two weeks. Like mm-hmm. anyone could do an app in two weeks. Like there's so much technology available now. You can come up with a website in half a day. Mm. But it doesn't mean it's a good one. It could be really mud because you haven't identified who's your audience. What yeah. is the product going to do? And, and what's it trying to sell for you as well? It was it's looking at it from a different problem or a different perspective. You know, I think one of the things that we, we touched on right at the start, you talked about 2% of uh, the technology population um, is made up of, of Pacifica. And if we went racing, out there, if, if our companies today went out, we, we need to increase Pacifica representation in um, in business. That's the problem we've got to solve. We need more Pacifica. We might move that number from two, three, or maybe four percent. You know, and and we could look at it and measure it and go, right, we've we've now got some more. But if we turn it around and went, actually, we need people who can tell stories, who can engage, who have EQ and and emotional intelligence, and and can articulate. Um, what they're trying to achieve and, and know how to work in a team and they have they bring these skills to the table. And if that's the problem we try to solve, we might find that we increase Pacifica representation from, from two percent to twenty or thirty percent. No, I totally I totally agree. Um, if we actually looked at the uh, the problem at hand, which is like you said, we need more storytellers and um, if you're dealing with uh, Pacifica it's an oral bunch of countries. They are great storytellers. What you need to do is highlight, as you um, mentioned earlier, that that is the value that you want. You yep. want a storyteller. You want someone that can um, gel a team really fast. Yep. So the other thing would be, <clears throat> and we all may fall into the same problem, is um, don't think that all Pacific Islanders are, you know, the same. Mm. You know, so um, they're Different, just like everyone else is different, so too are uh, Pacific Islanders. So uh, when I worked in a group where the product manager was Cook Island uh, English and there were three Samoans and a Fijian Indian. Uh, actually, so no, two Samoans, one from Tokelau. And um, a guy from Tokelau, man, his, like, his ability to get a team to gel was amazing. And I said to him, man, I just can't because I just need like, you know, me, it's like the data is telling me you've got to do this, we've got to do that. But he would just get any team to gel. Five minutes flat, he was there. And I said to him, man, your skill is your ability to get a team that doesn't know you to sign up to whatever you're doing. <laughs> and doesn't matter what it is, they're just going to go in that direction. And then the lady that I worked with, she's brilliant. She's an agile coach now at um, Westpac, um, Lexi Lenor. And, Oh, geez. Now, she would give a talk in front of 200 people uh, at MSD and it was just quiet. I used to hate talking after her because it was just like she was able to tell the story with such emotion that people were just like, wow, this is why we came to work today. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, because I was always like big on data. I would just come in and go, oh, yeah, so... Um, after Lady has talked, uh, I think we need to. This is the numbers that we're looking at, and we're going to go bam, 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 bam. So, you know, when we think of um, the different kind of storytellers, I like numbers tell stories. She you would use a really emotive language and focus on the why. And my other colleague, Lisa, he would use humor and his sports passion for the Auckland Blues, uh, whereas my 
colleague is Virginia Krakesh, he would focus on his absolute adoration of Chelsea. I, you know, you know, it's like there's different ways that we told stories, but we were all good storytellers. And I think of the teams that we worked with, and it's still probably the best, some of the best people I've worked with was because the leadership down to the tester, the developer, um, they were all from different parts of New Zealand and different parts of the world. And we were just lucky enough to harness the skills that we had as part of our upbringing as Pacific Islanders to lead the teams. So, yeah, I just think, oh, man, there's so much that's there. I definitely think if we recruit, put our jobs out differently and really highlighted that it was the ability to lead a team, the ability to get everyone on board and the ability to tell a story, that would actually kind of, those are skills that come out abundantly in Pacific communities. It is something they take for granted, but actually knowing um, the job descriptions, you will get the people coming, you know. Yep. You commit to that and then they will know that it's there, that it's not just a tick box exercise to get more diversity in that particular department or that particular IT shop. As you've been talking, I've been thinking back to some of the teams I've been fortunate enough to be involved in. And, and actually, the best team that I've been involved in, we had the most fun and we had um, we, we actually achieved a result far better than what we expected. And, and we, we, we all came together and played our role. A very diverse makeup. But it was for my um, final project for my master's degree. We, we had to do an industry project and we had to team up in a team of four. And in that team, there, there was me. And then there was um, Lini, who was from, from Tonga. We yeah. had Sarah, who was Cook Islander. And we had Nicole, who was Chinese. And mm. we had so much fun. Oh, yeah. We got an A, got an a plus on the paper um, because we all just pulled together. And everyone was there for their own purpose. And everyone brought their own skills. But we just had so much fun. And we could sit down as a group. We didn't tell stories. But, but just the way the topic flowed between us, we just all got it. And, and it was so much more fun than if I'd been teamed up with four other people who were, who were exactly like me would have probably just gone in and, and done what we needed to do and got out. Yeah, I mean, the difference is, like, you want a connection. You don't want it to be transactional. Yeah. Like, that. that's really what it is for me is relationships and that emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence is actually understanding that your background and your upbringing and your point of difference is actually... Um, something that can be monetized, something that is of value. And actually people want that kind of difference, that difference way of thinking, engaging and problem solving is something that the industry is looking for. So mm. if we're going to come up with the next Apple, we need to have much more diverse teams. We need the makeup of our teams to be a mix up and also just a reflection of New Zealand. Yep. Like, <clears throat> You know, my team at the moment, we've got, um, uh, I've got a Chinese developer, a Maori developer, a Indian tester, and an Italian scrum master, and a SME, that's Kiwi, fifth generation. Yeah. And I crack up because it is our diversity and the, the depth and difference that we have that actually meant we were able to start pumping our items of value within the first month we met. Yeah. And it's just that stuff where you're like, man, if more people knew that that diversity of the team 
would make you more innovative, but also that you develop a culture where people feel that they, you know, we celebrate your difference, that we, um, the normal things that you, you, know, you expect, like respect your coworkers, you disagree and um, you don't need to love each other all the time, but you need to respect that the, the perspective is what actually makes that person unique and that it actually helps you kind of formulate a better problem than it would have been had you just, um, like you said earlier, had the same crew that went through the same education system uh, and the same kind of um, upbringing. Like I think when I stare at government policy, quite a reflection of government policy is a reflection that they all went to Victoria Uni. Yep. They all came out with their degree and they went straight into government policy because it's, you know, um, University Vicky of School of Government. And then there's a very small percentage of policy writers that have ever been in the front line of a government department. But what what do they do? They write policies that affect everyone in New Zealand. And, and you, you talked before about the Wellington... <laughs> simplicity of it as well and 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 that's yeah. exactly it and i've all i've often been critical of of the mba program because everyone tends to come out of an mba thinking and doing the same stuff yep. but, but that policy creation is exact, exactly the same problem they're all coming out of an institute where they've been taught one way same way and everything's going to look the same yeah but actually you know new zealand came out really well out of COVID. um now is the time for us to rethink, especially in technology, how do we pivot and use the, like we know because of um, COVID that we can't get as many people from overseas as we normally would in yep. terms of um, local talent. So now is the time to build that local talent. There are lots of organisations and programmes that are trying to get more Pacifica into tech. So, you know, now, particularly for technology, now is the time that we invest in building our local capability and giving more Māori Pacifica um, the chance to enter the sector, give them the training, give them the exposure, um, connect them with the network, connect them with existing people that are in, um, you know, tech itself. The only reason I'm post all that stuff in terms of jobs that are going and those types of things is I am super conscious that not everyone knows these things are happening, um, that you can get into a scholarship, you can get into a job, you can get into some training. Oh, here's some other stuff that's happening. Not everyone is aware of that. So I always thought it's my responsibility being in the sector to really raise the visibility of we need more women, we need more Pacifica women. And how can we do that if we're not more visible ourselves? Fully, fully on board with you on that as well. And, and I'm open to anything that makes our industry better. You know, I'm, I'm passionate yeah. about the technology, technology industry and anything that's going to improve us um, as an initiative is the right thing to be doing. You know? and, and that's where one of the things you said earlier sort of sticks with me. And it came up in an earlier episode as well with, with Emma Pond where you talked about the role of government and it's not just the role of government, it's the role of government, the role of the industry as a collective and, and management within organisations, you know, get the people in who know how to do the job, give them the tools they need to do that job and then get out of their way and let them yeah. do it. It's, it's, it doesn't matter who they are. If, if you need a storyteller, get a storyteller and then let them tell the stories in their own way. Don't try and turn them into your cultural um, view of what a storyteller should be. Oh, yeah, no, I've um, worked with Emma. She's brilliant. And you're definitely right. Like, you know, bring in the person that you need. Um, don't assume that the person has to walk and talk and look a certain way. 
um, because actually it's the wild ones that really make a difference yep. anywhere else she's at this BNZ now. But um, one of the things that stuck out, it really just stuck out about me was she went, She had like a blue mohawk. She's like heading to parliament. She's heading to national office. I was like, oh, man, I loved it because she was herself all yep. the day. Yep. Like it was tough being, um, I mean, it's just tough generally to be a senior female in government. But, you know, there she was like running a really good team. Um, and people will make comments, oh, she's got blue hair. And I said, well, what does it matter? Did you know what the problem was? Did you know how to how we could go about looking and working on it and you know fixing things? You know, you know she didn't have a background in tech, nothing at all. She's just yeah. curious, hardworking, and wanted to make sure that more uh, Pacifica got into tech. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff where celebrate the difference, and if Pacifica people in particular actually understood. Um, yeah, the, the industry needs them. The industry is looking for them. Uh, we can work more on making that job advertisement a bit cleaner in terms yep. of appealing to a new kind of group that we want. But also, uh, and I've seen because of the increase of visibility and like LinkedIn, more of our Pacifica talent, um, particularly that are female, you're in there, you need to be more visible. You need mm. to show that... Um, like I always talk about, I don't have a tech background. I break stuff more often than not. Um, you know, like that's how my, I know the stuff works because like, I haven't broken it. And this is like the whole thing of um, it's a, a framework of uh, they call it Talanoa, which is like talking and sharing experiences to help others. Yep. Um, that is the, the raw concept of what Pacific people do well. We tell stories, we tease, we laugh, we have food, um, but it's for the um, – improvement of the community it's to lift the community to help others to kind of move and kind of hash out issues that you have but also it's just um it's just a great way to let others know you can get there there's no one pathway you can get into tech here are some opportunities um but again like i was saying earlier i love it when women contact me and say how did you get there because like a lot of women doesn't matter if you're Pacific or not, just psych yourselves out and go, oh gosh, I don't know how I can get into like that kind of job. And, and I'm always open to them contacting me because at the end of the day, there's two stats that I look at: 25% women in tech worldwide, and then I look at the tech the, the stat in New Zealand, which is two percent. Two percent of the sector is my people. So for me, like. Why should I, I complain about the stat? I'm like, nah, get out there, make yourself available, network, and tell people that you can get them there. You can get them to tech. It's not a particular way. Bring yourself, bring your whole self, and everyone benefits from you bringing your whole self. Absolutely. Everyone benefits from you bringing your whole self. And don't, don't fixate on the skills you don't have. Don't look at it and say, I'm not a coder, or I don't know hardware, or I'm not a technical person, because technologies the, the, the roles in technology there's so many there's 105 different skills for a start that, that you could have from from business analyst through to um right right through to coder to, to cto to, to strategic planner you don't need to be a coder to be in tech and as you said anyone can code anyone can learn to write code but people who are very good at writing code aren't always going to be able to tell a good story so it's 
the skills we need, and, and I feel like I've been hammering this point quite well, um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's a different set of skills that we need to bring in. And if you've got those skills, then, then we need to be finding a way to actually bring them in and put them into the industry. Oh, yeah. Like I always think of when I worked in government, um, I'd get questions. One of my most favourite things to do, and it's probably because I've worked in government and private, is um, I like it posing the question back to um, the person in particular. So I, I was out there and they were like, oh, so Nori, as a um, Pacific Islander, do you think um, this will work? You know, like, I'm Pacific Island population of New Zealand. And sometimes you need to, like, um, fact check some of your colleagues and just go, hey, um, like, what did you mean by that? Because, yep. like, you know, there are other people here that you could have asked um, or you could have just gone to a real customer. Uh, you could have not been lazy and turned around to me because I was the nearest you know, Pacific Island woman near you. And you could have actually just gone to an actual community. Um, so part of it is reminding that takes experience. Um, I mean, I won't lie. I always tell particularly Pacific women and women in general, it's not easy. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone's against you because you're female, because you're a Pacific. It actually just means you need to really channel all of the um, all of the cultural history and background that the advantages that you have being a Pacific woman and being a woman overall in tech is it's quite easy for me to fact check a lot of my male developers. It's just, you know, like you'll probably know this, but um, there's nothing like when you hear the tone of your mother, when you get that warning tone of, yep. hey, and it's like they stop yelling and they just go, hey, and you know, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's on <laughs> <You> know, now. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've noticed that whenever I've kind of been with like different teams, I've been like, hey, why are you doing that? It's just that sharp, low enough tone that all my developers just stop and go, oh, okay, I need to listen. Um, but, you know, I just think of all that stuff like, I won't lie, some people, you know, a lot of women will say, oh, it's really tough being in tech. I said, mm, it is. But actually, you should celebrate the fact that you are female. You can fact check all your male colleagues. Um, and if you're a Pacific woman, you can fact check everybody. Hey, what do you mean? Are you just making an assumption about Pacific people because I'm here? And I've, you know, I see to a couple of my colleagues, you know, I'm not the entire Pacific population of New Zealand. Yeah. You know, and that not all Pacific Islanders live in South Auckland. Some of them live in Porirua. Some of them live in Christchurch. Come on. So it's that the way that, um, you know, my colleagues go, oh, you mock everyone. I'm like, yeah, but if you listen to the tone and what I've said, man, you could have actually helped yourself a lot further along rather than waiting for me to remind you, hey, that's a really dumb design decision. Well, that's a really dumb implementation of your code. Definitely. And, and it's, it's got me... What you've just been saying has got me thinking as well, because diversity is obviously a, a, a good topic of discussion um, at the moment a, across a range of things. But uh, building a team and saying, well, I need to have a Samoan woman there so that I'm more diverse, that doesn't make you diverse. That no. just means you've got a Samoan woman. And, and to your point exactly, if I'm going to turn around and go, hey, Nori, what do you think of this as a Samoan woman? That's a little bit condescending when I could have gone out and, as you said, asked 15 customers who happen to also be Samoan women what they think of this. So... The, the diversity is not the, you, you can't just put someone in there and say we're diverse because we've got that role. Um, oh, yeah. If you keep putting them back in the box, if they come in and they bring all those skills we've talked about and everything else that comes in, then that's where the diversity is coming into it. 
Not totally. And I think, um, which is why often when I talk to teams, I say, look, cultural diversity is having that right mix in your team of different thinkers. You know, the fat, you know, the really crazy one that has random ideas, but are actually gold nuggets. When yep. you strip away the crazy tone and inflection, well, actually, it's a pretty good idea. Yep. Um, but having exposure and knowing what it is to listen and to actively listen to someone, um, those kind of soft skills are so invaluable in, like we said earlier, in an age where it's not hard to learn how to code. Mm. I, mean, it's hard, I mean, it's hard to get the expertise. Um, the real difference, and I know a good developer or a good solution engineer by the way that they question. You know, a junior will go, oh, okay, you know, hammer away, put it in. <laughs> um, and, I've, I, and it's the switch from a code monkey to a solution engineer. Yep. And they go, oh, but what's the problem? And why is this a problem? Okay, so how does that work? It's that um, eliciting of information that really confirms that that person is mature enough as not just like a, a techie, but just as a person that they, they sit there and listen. They, oh, okay, well, why is that a problem? Well, you know, um, the maturity comes at, over time, but it also can be expedited by a larger exposure to different ways of thinking, different cultures, um, and different thought processes to the same problem. The thought processes are, are so valuable. And, and just again, coming thinking back to that example of oh, I've built a team with, I've got a Samoan woman, so I'm, I'm diverse. You're not walking into that room thinking, I'm a Samoan woman and I'm going to solve everything like a Samoan woman would. You're walking in going, I know how to solve a problem. And that's what I'm going to do. Hmm. No, that's totally correct. I think, yeah, that's probably one of the more annoying things is people think, yeah, I'll just do a, a checkbox exercise. I'll, I'll say I'm diverse by, oh, but, you know, like a quarter of my staff are like from different parts of the world. And you're like, wow, but what does that mean if <laughs> the same people are still doing most of the work? And yep. it's the, when they articulate, oh, how they kind of got there, that is the magic. You know, they talk about the magic source. Yep. You know, magic source is innovation, but actually it's a diverse makeup of your team doesn't have to be just gender, doesn't have to be ethnicity. Um, some of the best people I've worked with, um, one of the best guys I've worked with is um, on the autism spectrum. And I loved the way that he was so, like he had OCD and he was autistic. Yeah. So I, people were like, oh, gosh, it's frustrating. I said, no, nah, man, I love it. I can do something wrong. He'll pick it up. He'll tell me the line, the row, and I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, you know, my favourite part was actually working with him and he goes, oh, Nori, um, I want to just review your document. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Um, and we're going through and I'm just editing and accept, accept, accept. And he goes, you can't accept it. I'm, like, you've just changed the layout of, like, his reporting that he's going to be just tracking all the fields that we needed to be fixed. And I said, oh, but um, it sounded logical to me. So, you know, accept. Um, and oh, you can't do that, Nori. This I know, but how I think is if it's logical and it sounds good for the experience of both a staff member and the actual end customer, then that sounds fine to me. That's acceptable, and I respect your perspective and the ideas that you've mentioned are brilliant. You've thought of me just going, hmm, this looks good enough. 
And mm. so, like, you know, those are the kind of the best experiences that you have when, um, and it's something you kind of learn. I took for granted because of the servant leadership I was brought up around is checking your ego at the door, being open to how your colleagues think and act differently is the one way you can guarantee that you can harness that magic source that everyone is looking for. When you think about their best teams, when they strip away whatever they were building, their best teams had a really good makeup, different ways of thinking, they came from different countries, and they were able to share of themselves, their upbringing and the way that they thought, which stripped away barriers of, oh, you need to do it this way because I said so. And like, oftentimes I'll get people like, oh, no, but my, you're my product owner. I must do whatever you say. I'm like, yeah, but um, I don't actually want you to, I don't come to work to tell you how to suck an egg. You know, like I ask you questions because it's your expertise and your problem solving. That is what I need your help with. I can articulate the problem, but you can actually just go, oh, actually, you can try it this way and that way. And they're like, oh, I said, yeah, I will never tell you how to suck an egg. Your job is to tell me you could do it this way, but it's probably better if you try it that way. Um, or what, why is that a problem? Or how can we try this? Um, yeah. You know, those are the best things I've worked with is where you strip down by getting to know each other, um, finding out about the makeup of the person, where they were brought up, how they were raised and how they came into technology. That is fundamentally the best teams I've ever worked with. Those are the teams where you strip down the barrier and you really like focus on, oh, this is our vision. This is our problem. And, you know, this is what we want to do. We want to produce the best product um, that our customers can have. Mm, totally. Best possible outcome for the customers. And, and that's what it comes down to. That's what every team's there to deliver is, is an outcome for their customer base, whoever that might be. Um, and, and, and whatever culture that might be in as well is, is as long as they can do that. And, and I, Definitely feel like I've said solve problems too much, but I can't say it enough. Um, as long as they're solving problems, that's the right way to go. It's, it's. Um, I, I like what you say, we're not teaching people to suck eggs around how to do their job. We're there to help them solve problems better. No, yeah, definitely. Like, um, and that's why, you know, I always talk to um, Pacific Islanders in particular and say, if you only knew how much the sector needed your brilliance, and your ability to lead a team, gather a team, um, tell a story, um, use humour, um, even, um, you know, the conflict resolution. Like, again, I said earlier, I came, I was brought up in a family of nine children, and then my dad was, like, one of 13. So, you know, when you just go everywhere and all your first cousins are, like, everywhere, um, <laughs> You know, like you learn to problem solve and the conflict resolution is like you need to sort that stuff out um, pretty quick, smart. But it's the whole thing of like it's very easy to kind of, I I guess it's kind of a version of imposter syndrome. Um, Like women in particular in tech suffer from this quite a bit. It takes a while to get over it. But um, it's the same thing but slightly different for Pacific people. You know, like, oh, I must have a degree or, oh, I, I must have this and that. Um, and it's like we said earlier, recognising that, well, you know, if you can go run an entire White Sunday performance with 30 children, do their costume, do their singing, do their um, 
dance practices if that's required and help them recite all of their lines, that is intense. And you've got to manage their parents. Because like, though we all know like every parent wants their kid to be front and centre, um, get all the lines, get all the, the fame, the glory. Um, and it's hard when you're managing that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know how you do that every year or how you do that every, like, four to six months. That's insane. You know, like, when you think of, like, intense IT projects, like, it's the same yeah. thing. You're wrangling the it's same kind of, kind of group of people. The only difference is that they're all at your eye level. Yeah. It was, and, and in some cases as well, in, in those big projects, the people you're dealing with may actually have a maturity that's lower than some of the kids mm. that, that you're talking about before. Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and that's, that's the huge thing. But you're right. It's, if, if you can handle 30 kids to deliver a production you're probably a project manager. You've got the attitude, the skills and the um, experience to be a project manager as well. Yeah. The tenacity and patience. And, you know, yeah. it's really the patience. Um, I, I think of some projects where I've been on like, Oh, it's like looking at a toddler having a tantrum, but I'm in an office and it's a commercial building. So <laughs> I can't, you know, I'm not in a supermarket. Oh, I'm not watching a kid have a tantrum. I'm not at kindergarten. So what's going yeah. on? That's totally like correct, and I think um, you know I always think of like the upbringing I had, and you know it's the humour, um, and like you know said it earlier, Islanders will mock you if you you know they they use humour, which is a really good way of um, you know that that fostering of that team, yep. building that tightness um, and the relationship of recognizing when the person looks like they're stressed, when they look like they're a bit overwhelmed. And when we think about it in tech in particular, there's always that ongoing issue of you get some some of your team just work like insane hours and you start, you know, um, particularly when you're in like a, um, a leadership role, you're like, ooh, you know, you kind of tell them, hey, you're right, uh, are things okay? Mm. Um, and it's, you know, again, it goes back to, oh, like, you know, reading body language, recognising when someone is not okay, but they're not in a position where they feel like, they can say they're not okay. Um, so that kind of, like, it's always come in handy for me to be able to read that kind of stuff. Like, not just when I need to, you know, work with teams and, like, develop a particular um, function, uh, but it's also when you know you, you, you're looking out at your team, recognising um, that they need a bit of time, they need a break. Um, but it's also, like... Um, one of the core things I have worked on it's always been a, a good example of all the good leaders that I've had that are Māori, Pacifica or not at all, has been always, and it's kind of similar to the servant leadership model, is always build up your team so that you don't need to be there. Yep. You can if they need you, but um, that's a, you know, that's a good sign of a good team that you don't, you only need um, your leader because, you know, you've tried everything. You kind of got to that point uh, where there's not much more that you can do. And I always kind of liken it to, you know, that movie Nanny McPhee? And so, you know, she goes, oh, you, you know, you only need me when you, um, when you don't want me. And then when, you're, when you don't need me, that's when you want me. It's that kind of relationship of kind of building. Um, and I, I always, like, try to explain to specific women in particular, um, that Nanny McPhee kind of relationship is a lot 
of the case for a lot of Pacific women. You know, or even just the Pacific people in general, Maori as well. It's um, it's it's a sign of a good leader, but it's also just stuff that you talk growing up. That again always comes back to the oh, you thought it's just oh, that's just what I do. Like, oh, actually, like you know, people pay thousands of dollars for this kind of this kind <laughs> of skill set. Oh, actually, like you know, the fact that you can walk into a room and facilitate uh, an amazing workshop and not think about it, and um, it's you know when we realize how much um, that stuff is of value, when we recognize that it is a particular, it is a skill that some people pay a lot of money to learn and still struggle with. The fact yep. that you do it with ease, with a plum, yeah, that whole like swan gliding along, that's fine, yeah, cool, cool. Um, and that other people struggle. Like it's a, a real struggle. And when you realize that that is something that is of value, then you start to stop devaluing your cultural heritage, your cultural upbringing, and you recognize, you know, it's not a unique selling point. It is the difference between you as a person that adds value to the organization um, and you as a person that's just in the team. Because you could have 100 Pacifica people in your team, but if they didn't actually understand how their upbringing and how, who they are gives value to the organisation, you're not going to get the innovation out of them because they don't feel like what they do and what they give is of value. But if you actually like talk about, oh, as a cult, as an organisation, we value um, differences of opinion, thought processes, and that your upbringing is what makes you unique and that's going to help us do bigger, better things, then you won't understand. I've had some really powerful, successful women just say to me, you're amazing. And the difference of hearing that from, like, your leader, uh, doesn't matter if they're male or female, like, it makes a massive difference. And then when your leaders are like, this is how we roll, this is... Um, the, the type of culture we have, this is how we celebrate uh, our diversity, and this is how we turn that diversity into an innovative, amazing service or product, then you know why you are there. You know what you bring to the table. Definitely, definitely. And, and it's, it's, we are the sum of all of our parts. You know, everything that we, regardless of what our background is. Yeah everything that we encounter as we grow up um, shapes who we become. And it's the bits that, that it's the people we are, that is the value as opposed to the skills. So I think um, th- there's probably something else to explore in this, uh, which we'll park for another day, but the, the, the fact that anyone can code. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something so much to explore in that, that anyone can code, but actually you are who you are because of where you, because of the journey you've taken to get there. And that's the bit that makes you valuable, not your ability to code. Oh my gosh, yeah. I always think, oh, that's my favorite thing to tell people uh, that I'm really good at breaking technology. That is my specialist skill. Um, you know, I've had developers go to me, I don't know how you did it, Norma. Oh, it's my skill. It's my, you know, like if you want a unicorn, no, I'll break it for you. That, that's my unicorn skill. But it's, um, you know, like, you know, you own stuff and you're like, yeah, I'm. I mean, a bit random, but yeah, I, I love this stuff. I love tech. I love, um, you know, who I am all the day. Yep. And when you when you have that kind of mantra across the team, doesn't matter if 
I mean, great if you have Māori Pacifica more in the sector, but if you have more of that kind of mantra, you start that as your team, your organisation culture, automatically you will attract that talent. So you won't have to work as hard because you've got the, uh, you know, to, you know, when we start really pushing and getting more multi-Pacifica into tech kind of roles and, you know, having them do more coding, design work, you know, the real challenge will be is, uh, as a business owner, how do I attract that talent to come to me when they could go anywhere, when yeah. they realise how powerful their, their cultural um, diversity is, how powerful um, that is to a tech organisation the real problem will be how do I convince them to come to me, work for me, not go work for the likes of Microsoft, the likes of Google? How do I make <laughs> sure that they pick me when they could go anywhere in the world? Yeah. And, and there's, there's a point in there that as soon as we can crack that, we can solve one of the other big frustrations I've got with technology in New Zealand, which is the, oh, sorry, you don't have New Zealand experience. Um, and, and, and I hear that frequently from migrants from India, from China. Um, I'm, I'm guessing most parts of the world that come to New Zealand will get this. Oh, sorry, you haven't worked for a New Zealand company, so you can't work here. Actually, that's not the bit that matters. The bit that matters is the skills you're bringing and, and, and how you transform this company by being here and bringing in a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think if they did a bit more of the interviews, like asking them a question of, like, <laughs> I think if you had in every interview, um, if you got them to do a challenge, which was like, tell the story, I mean, you get, had a task and you achieved a result. Um, one of the best questions I've ever asked is, uh, recruiting for a government graduate IT program. And the one question I said to my colleague was, no, 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 whatever we asked, we go to the standard guff of this question. And the one question we asked was, tell me about the most difficult time in your life. And what did you learn about yourself? <laughs> And they're like, oh. And, you know, actually the people we asked, we picked all of the candidates we had because the stories that they shared, they were reflective of who they were. Yep. And, like, you know, my colleagues were like, why did you pick this five? And I was like, oh, because the stories they shared kind of showed that they had resilience, they had yep. empathy, and they were passionate. I was like, I can teach them all that other stuff. I can't teach you how to be caring, how to have empathy, how to have kindness, how to um, be able to bring people in, how to notice when you've got an angry person. You know, like all of that, I was like, what? I was like, I can't train kindness. You either got it or you don't. I can train the rest, teach you how to do all the, you know, all the coding in the world. That's not hard. I can get them to teach you that, but I can't teach you to be the right person. And, and you're right, there's some skills you just can't, train people that they're just it's just ingrained in them and and i, I see this um I, I coach my son's uh ripper rugby team so we're talking five-year-olds six-year-olds and i've got a wee boy in there um he's he's fijian and man can he run and he he's got this ability to in the mid without even touching the ground he can change direction and he's six and he's you know if, if we can keep his enthusiasm for rugby up and keep him going he and and he continues to grow he's going to be a great player one day because he's got those skills. And I'm looking at it going, there was no way I was going to teach you that. Like you've either got it or you don't. The mm -hmm. other kids in the team, they love to run, but they got nothing on, yep. the, on Ivan. He can just move. No, like you're right. I mean, I've, Fiji's like my favorite team 
um, to watch Sevens, like just like a bunch of gazelles, you yep. know, we're just going to break it any time. But, but it, you are right, like, um, and I guess for me, I was lucky in the interview that we were doing for the grad team was uh, my colleague um, was the head of DevOps. Yep. And he was, uh, again, not traditional, hadn't gone to uni, just kind of picked it up, went as he kind of kind of went along in the government department. They'd invested in him because he's a leader. Yeah. Like, and Steve's follow whatever he does because he's just like, he, he knows his people, he knows how to lead them, and he takes them through the journey. And we said, like, before we started talking to you, like, these young grades were like, no, nah, man, um, we want to watch who we are interviewing and see who are they when they don't think we're watching. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I said, no, that's why we like, you know, I loved talking to those um, candidates because the way they thought, the way they shared, uh, who they were and what they'd learned about themselves was really indicative of the type of culture that we wanted to come into the tech shop. We wanted different thinkers. We had a guy that, um, my favourite was the guy that, um, Worked on a farm. He said, oh, I just went to uni, you know, worked on a farm and decided I wanted to apply for a tech, you know, an IT grad program. And I said, yeah. And they're like, why'd you pick him? And I said, you know what? He's hardworking. He knew what hard work was. He knew that you can't take stuff for granted. Um, he, you know, he talked about how passionate he was about learning and about, you know, doing the right thing, you know. You know, we were like, oh, that's, you know, we kind of sat there, we're like, me and my colleague Jason, we're like, yeah, we picked the right people. Everyone else is like, oh, we had rubbish people. And we actually just said to them. But when you talk to um, the candidates and graduates you're talking to, you know, did you really watch them? Did you really ask them who they were? Did you prepare them for, um, you know, did you explain to them like we did, which is, we can train you on anything we want. We want to find out who you are because who you are matters um, in a massive organisation because even the smallest squeaky wheel makes it into a massive issue, you know. And knowing that you've got someone that's honest and will share and kind of ask a question if they're not sure and um, is keen to learn, that is the person you want in your tech shop. Definitely. And there's a valuable lesson in there for any hiring manager as well. Um, oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Think about the people you need, not the skills or, or the perceived skills. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to have to wrap it up. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. It's been gone for, for, for an hour and a half already. But oh, wow. Oh, no, I totally forgot. <laughs> I know. Um, that's what happens with these. We get so entrenched in the conversation that you lose track of time. But there's, there's been so much, um, so much in here, and I want to thank you for sharing a lot of a lot of what you have um, like i say there's there's a value in this piece not just for for those who are looking to get in the industry um and, and overcome some of the cultural challenges they may perceive to be there there's things here that hiring managers should be picking up on as well and, and company owners people who are trying to build high performing teams um can learn so much yeah. from this as well oh brilliant i've been stoked to have a chat with you on it's always one of my favourite things to do is go to virtual conferences and listen to the awesome people that talk. And I'm like, man, you know, it's a really a good reminder for me. Damn, I'm working a great job. Oh, you know, I was, geez, look, look at all these awesome people I kind of need, you know, get to hear from. And listening to them talk is like 
so amazing. Like, I, you know, I'm lucky in that I've got a great family. I've got a great support network of friends. And all of my family and friends and my coworkers, you know, they give me a privilege check probably at least once every two weeks. <laughs> you know, but, you know, when you're, like, flying high, thinking life's awesome, you need that privilege check just to remind you that um, things can always be better. Like, we can make things better. We can... Uh, push ourselves out there. We can share more of ourselves. And I, I know for me, I was excited listening to all of the podcasts before. And I was like, these people are amazing. But I was like, man, like, I like how you made the discussion um, with your previous podcast. And even this one is you've really focused on the human element. And the more we focus on the human element when it comes to tech, the better everything is. The fancy terms and hurrah. Like, strip it back. The human interaction and the human um, relationship is all that really matters. Definitely. Technology is about people. It's not about systems. It's not about um, information. It's about people. People people who work in the, in the environment, people who are um, trying to get into, people who are, who are helped, hindered, aided, supported, whatever, by the mm. systems that are out there, it's the people that matters. Yeah, and I'd probably say, um, you know, for anyone that's listening to this, I am always open to having a coffee, uh, doing video Zoom sessions with people. Um, you know, I'm open to that stuff because I know not everyone knows how to get there. Not everyone um, has access, you know, access to people that are in the sector, um, that are keen to kind of share the word and give of themselves in terms of time. Um, I'm not you know, fast with giving up my time for a coffee or a Zoom chat, purely for the sole purpose of that I recognise how privileged I was to have access. Absolutely. And look, I'm, I'm going to second that as well. I'm, anyone listening to this who wants to reach out and have a, have a conversation about anything, um, then then feel free to drop me a note, to drop Nori a note. I mean, you're, you're fairly active on LinkedIn, um, easy to find as well. Uh, so Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, but hey, look, that's the, that's the last name is Sini. Well, we've also got that obviously in the in the thread um, for this. But look, Nori, uh, once again, thanks for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation, and I'm, I'm hopeful to get down to Wellington. We can, we, I'll take you up on that offer for a coffee. Um, oh, of course. I'm originally from Wellington, so there'll be a chance that I'm down there. Oh, well, no, I'm originally from Auckland, best city <laughs> in New Zealand. Up the blues. <laughs> Best city in New Zealand is Upper Hutt. That's where I was born. Um, oh, yeah, it's pretty good, actually. It's it's a great little city. And and I know I've got someone out there who listens from Upper Hutt. So uh, oh. we'll do that out to them as well. <laughs> Thanks, Nori. Um, all the best and we'll catch up soon. No, definitely. Have a good week. It's so great to talk to you. Uh, kia ora, guys. Uh, my name is Kristen Harper. I'm one of the founders of the Nesian Network. So I hope you're enjoying this BizBytes podcast today with uh, Nori. I think it's great to see more Pacifica and tech. So uh, come along to the uh, Nation Network. We're all about connecting and encouraging collaboration with Māori and Pacifica, creating new business opportunities and celebrating success. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Thanks for listening to BizBytes, brought to you by The IT Psychiatrist. Check out our blog at www.theitpsychiatrist.co.nz forward slash blog for bonus material and more information.